0: And now for Something Completely Machinima. machinima.
1: Welcome to the And Now Something Completely Machinima podcast. We're here talking with my three co-hosts, Phil Rice. Hello. And Tracy Harwood. Hi there. And Damien Valentine. Hello there. Damien, you had a release of uh, an episode of a new series you're uh, starting on. Can you tell us about that right quick?
0: Um, yeah, it's episode 12 of Star Wars Heir to the Empire. Uh, it's a little project I've been working on for the last year where I've been turning chapters of one of my favorite Star Wars novels into short animated videos. And if, you, if anyone listening to this wants to check it out, just look up Star Wars Heir to the Empire on YouTube and you'll, you'll find all the episodes released so far cool well good
1: luck on that i hope you get a lot of people watching it thank you i'd also like to take this moment to announce that uh damien is going to host our may podcast sessions and it's going to be star wars and space themed so we're going to be looking at space themed machinima and star wars machinima and bringing in some guests and talking to damien about it so Good luck to you, Damien. That should be quite an interesting experience. Throw you in the deep end.
0: (laughs) I have to say I'm really looking forward to putting together that show and uh, seeing what we can come up with. That's great. Me
1: (laughs) too. Yeah, me too. I think it should be a lot of fun. Uh, As a reminder, we're, we're breaking up our show into separate sections rather than doing a real long one. The last one we did was uh, 3.2, which was the films discussion. This is 3.3. We're going to be our general discussion. I'm going to start out uh, talking a little bit about the Milan Machinima Festival, which by the time you hear this will have closed. Uh, it ran uh, March 15th through the 21st. I don't think they're going to be archiving very many of their uh, films, so uh, uh we're going to do our best to try to find out which films you can get access to. I'm going to do a little report on that. And then we're going to talk about some ideas that came up out of that festival and then explore a couple other things. Um, The Milan Machinima Festival is, uh, was this last week. Um, It's part of the Milan digital week, which is a larger uh, digital festival around the city in which they have all sorts of interactive uh, discussions and presentations about um, business and architecture and um, all sorts of interesting things that are connected to the digital arts. Uh, Milan Machinima Festival is focused primarily on machinima. It's uh, uh, virtual and it was free uh, online because of the pandemic. They uh, featured 25 works of machinima uh, uh, by 18 artists representing seven countries and they created uh, six sections and I have to commend them on these excellent Uh, selections of uh, uh, sections for the show. I'm not sure whether the sections came out of the films that were submitted or whether they created the sections first. We'll find out. Anyway, the the first section was Grand Theft Cinema, uh, which I thought was cool. And then they did another one, Code Confinement, Glitch, uh, glitch and scapes. They did five special c- screenings called the classical elements in which they did machinima themes based on the classical era elements of air, earth, water, and fire, which was just brilliant. The, the films they chose, they did a game video essay. Unfortunately it was only in Italian with knowing the subtitles. So that was the only thing that I was uh, unable to watch. And then they highlighted an artist, uh, Iono or Iono Allen, who's a Second Life uh, virtual documentary filmmaker who uh, uh, films uh, installations primarily of dance installations in Second Life. I want to say I really enjoyed all of the films. Um, Perhaps one or two of them didn't seem quite up to par to me. Um, But then again, you know, having run a festival myself, I... I know what it's like trying to choose choose films. Um, the focus on this this festival was on academic um uh art. Um so that the which is a very different it's sort of a narrow focus compared to the Machineplex festival we did in second life in which our focus was mostly on just getting the best films we could find. Um it, these were films that were abstracted so they're very modernist films. Um, and they were also films that were uh, uh, machinima films of ideas. And uh, some of them were polemical, some of them were not polemical, some of them were clear, some of them were very obfuscated. Uh, But overall, I just enjoyed them immensely. But the real revelation uh, were two. One, Iono Allen's films. He is a French uh, man a middle-aged man, and he came into Second Life in 2016 and uh, was sort of searching around for something to do and ended up being invited to a dance installation, loved it so much, and decided to film it. And that began a relationship with the uh, uh, installation artists in Second Life in which he began to film more and more films. They did, I think, 15 of his films, all of which are pretty short, and they were all just magnificent films. I, I've been out of Machinima for a long time, so I didn't, I didn't know about, about his work, but I'm so glad to be, have been introduced to it. They had an interview with him in which uh, they asked him uh, sometimes obscure questions, but most of the time they were clear, and he answered them with grace and intelligence. And It was hard to imagine that he's a filmmaker who never made a film until his first Second Life film. Because the mastery of the camera, his, the camera movement and editing, betrays somebody of immense talent. Um, I don't know where that comes out of without training, uh, but it did with him. And if you see one of his films, I hope uh, in our blog, I'm gonna uh, in our show notes, I'll find out what's available and slip it to you. But he's just magnificent. And the models in um, Second Life, which are have always troubled me, the rendering of the models with the sort of stretched materials on the faces and everything. They always bothered me. But in dance, in this sort of abstract dance, it worked perfectly, just perfectly. Gives an eerie, otherworldly feeling. Anyway, I just love his films. And then uh, the very last film I watched, which was, was my absolute favorite, I think it's just a work of genius, it was called uh, uh, Fire uh, Down Below by Nick Crockett. It was the only film that was shot in Unity, and it was based on an experience he had as a a graduate student in West Virginia. He went to a a town there, and of course it's a big mining town, and a lot of the mines had had fallen into disuse. There was one, one mining town that the coal underneath the city had caught fire, and it started creating these sort of holes where pets would fall into f- with flame. And so they eventually had to abandon the city and it's an abandoned city. And although the co- coal is still burning, it's much, much lower. So you can, you can go safely. And he went to for a visit for this and it inspired him to make a film, to do research on the history of the labor movement with coal miners and uh, big coal companies. And he created this very, very, strange and eccentric little film about that topic. And it was just absolutely breathtakingly beautiful with original music and very carefully crafted um, models that he used that he imported into Unity. His interview, which was the best one um, of all of the interviews I watched, uh, he was articulate and intelligent and explained the background of it. I only figured out it was shot in, in Unity because they had a screen capture of the uh, Unity interface. And uh, thankfully, he uh, it originally became, it was a game. And then after he finished the game, he decided to shoot a film inside of the game that he had created, which is to me unique in machinima. I've never heard of that before. But anyway, he did a short, shorter version as a film to send out, and that's what they showed at Milan, and then he did a longer version, which is an hour long. The original uh, one at the, at the festival was like 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, so I'm really eager to watch the longer one. and they're both at his website, um, Nick uh, Nick Crockett two tees.com. We'll put a link in the uh, show notes. Anyway, I love the festival. thought it was really well organized. I was really glad it's there. Uh, We'll give you an update on what the, what they're keeping in their archives, but congratulations to the people that organized it. And thank you for making that happen. All right, let's move on to our first question that came out of the Milan Machinima festival. They interviewed Henry Lowood, who's a machinima scholar and archivist. I remember last week we mentioned his collection of machinima at archive.org. Well, uh, they put a question to him, and the question, I'm going to put that question to you guys. Let's discuss it, and then I'll tell you what Henry answered. According to some scholars and critics, machinima has now dissolved into the larger culture of streaming and game videos. Do you agree with this assessment, or do you think this medium or genre is still uniquely positioned in the media landscape? Tracy, let's start with you. What do what do you think? What do you make of that question?
2: Um, well, I think given where the Milan um, Machinima Film Festival tends to focus, which is on digital arts rather than what I would call mainstream machinima, I think it's not surprising that a question like that is actually asked. Uh, and I, and if you if you focus on that kind of content, that is where it leads you you know I think that's a natural conclusion to um, to reach uh, in in that kind of uh, context Um, do you want me to answer the question (laughs) sure yes please do well well, okay so I think we are are indeed looking at um, you know a media landscape which is very diverse there are many digital formats now there is a lot of pre-produced work um, and um, it's it's you know, quite different from where Machinima came from back in the, the mid-1990s. Indeed, games were quite a unique means to create uh, media content, and that really is no longer the case. There are many ways now that you can create real-time media, including on your mobile or with digital cameras, um, remixing other online content. But, but games are still a platform um, that have a significant number of people that are, are using them to create content. Not necessarily the sort of content that you might see at the Milan Machinima Film Festival, but you know, as we've been doing our research for the podcast, we've come across tons of machinima content in that sort of traditional form. But what I do think, if if, if there is a criticism of it, is that probably what there is now is a lack of creativity evidenced in the mainstream use of games as, as filmmaking tools. Um, and, and I think really that um, with the breadth of other types of tools, such as MoCap, which are becoming increasingly accessible through, through cost and ease of use and integration with other tool sets, um, I, I think really, you know, the, the, the tool sets don't really mean that there are um, better stories. And I, and I think it doesn't really absolve the responsibility of the creator to learn the craft of storytelling. Which I do see as a bit of a challenge at the moment. I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, game-based content, which is really what I would call let's play. Um, and I, I think we're now in the realms where where games can be used um, as both narrative and performative, as well as abstract and literal. And I think a lot of the the digital art that you're seeing is is very, well, it's it's art and it's political. Um, so there is quite a lot of that kind of content out there. Um, so for me, what what it um, what it raises really, um, I think, is is the nature of what the game is being used for. Uh, and I think games expose creators to to a field of creative potential. And I think um, by saying that it's just mixed within a, a general media landscape misses the point of what what the game is doing and it, and it's unique in the sense that it immerses the artist in a creative environment and you know if you're if you're quite skilled at that game then you've got just enough challenge within it to keep a part of your brain to be on the the lookout for something that's potentially very different um, so that you can tell new types of stories or different types of, of stories or you know whether whether you want to call them stories at all, but but things that are unexplored in those games, and and just to add to that, you know what we are now seeing is a, a huge amount of creativity al- allied to indie games and and modding. Um, we've seen we've we've seen quite a lot of that. We've talked about quite a lot of that on, on this show as well. Um, so you know I think there is a lot of potential there for for machinima as we have known it in the past. Um, and let's not forget that the machinima techniques of the past are now being used in more mainstream creative forms. So they're being used, for example, in in theatre uh, just this last week as well. Uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company's Dream um, was running, which was a, a retelling of um Puck's exploration of the of the forest in Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and what was interesting in that was the representation of some very interesting uh, characters uh, and they were being performed in in real time using MoCat and using the unreal engine uh uh but apart from the the embodied performance using the tech for example what was the difference between what you were seeing there and the live real time performance that say red versus blue um uh did at uh, within halo at edinburgh Uh, fringe some some years back well i think the difference is you now call that virtual production but its roots (laughs) is clearly in machinima yes um so you know i think it's very much a piece of the art world um games games are another tool for for artists to address a set of issues um and think about an audience um and i think that's very evident in in what we saw at the milan machinima festival um maybe I've talked enough. Do you do you guys want to have a go? Oh no,
1: no, I I'd like your ideas, I like your response. Phil, what's your take on the question?
3: I, I think the uh, more so to uh to Henry's answer to it. I think the only part of it that I uh, would criticize, I guess is the only word that makes any sense is is the use of the verb dissolved. Um I, I don't think that's the right verb. Uh you could say eclipsed. You know, because the enormous growth of popularity in uh, streaming and game videos and, uh, you know, to some degree machinima has always been part of a larger culture of recording and playback of games. You know, as we've we've talked about numerous times right. that that's it was that capability that had to exist before machinima could exist. Really, really. So uh, it's always been a, a subset of that. It's just that until. Uh, until YouTube and, and more so I think until a uh, fairly elaborate proliferation of high speed internet globally. Um, video distribution is no longer a problem. And it's, it's, it's tr- a trivial matter for someone with, with a desktop computer or a laptop to just instantly create video. Um, well, naturally that's, you know, it, 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 to me that, saying that Machinima has been dissolved into that would be a bit like saying that game videos have been dissolved into the even larger just record and and share video phenomenon that has resulted from uh, the existence of YouTube and those types of platforms. So I don't think dissolved is the the word that I would have picked. Um, But yeah, it's been eclipsed. I just don't think there's any reason to be insecure about that. I think Machinima still has a uh, to use a Goofy business term, a unique value proposition, if you will, that um, that does set it apart. And I think that, that that is true regardless of whether it gets the level of, let's say, adoption or recognition that uh, that you know streaming and game videos gets. Um, if for no other reason, just that that quite frankly, those those types of videos are just. A whole order of magnitude easier to produce, um, and and to, you know, we've always talked about machinima as one of machinima's advantages, is being able to quickly produce something compared to, or comparing it to, you know, rendering it out in 3D Studio Max or Blender or right. something like that, right. or the old days of, you know, the the legendary days of when Pixar was rendering Toy Story and it was taking three days to render one <laughs> frame of film or something <laughs> absurd like that, which we laugh at now, but like. That was the reality of it, and with machinima, it's like, well, hey, we could do this. Well, streaming is even a whole thing beyond that. You could, just, if you've got the software set up, I could, I could switch over to my other computer right now and start streaming from a video game five minutes from right now and be streaming with an audience of some kind, two people probably, who could could be doing that. Well, I mean, how do you beat that, you know? And so you can, you can be more spontaneous in that platform and you can produce content far more frequently than let's say you know the, the kind of series that damien's working on now where there's there's just so much craft involved and i'm not saying that that game videos or good streamers don't have craft they do but it's it just doesn't require any render time if, if you know what i mean you know it's they they may prepare some stuff ahead of time to like ricky with the sound effects that we were playing with earlier you know where you can trigger that and yeah, except the looping. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, so that, that's, I think, a big part of why that content has just exploded is because it's the ultimate in efficiency. You know, there, there is there's no machinima process with Red Dead Redemption 2 that could compare in any way to getting in there and streaming something. You know, it's it just, yeah. it takes way longer to do. Um, And that's not a downside. It's just, it's, they're, 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 they're two very different things. What the end result of those Um, to a casual observer who only sees the pixels, they may not seem that different, you know, because the video games have a lot of craft built right into them. So even playing that game and showing it to someone can be just a magnificently beautiful experience. And you, you know, someone who doesn't know what goes into it would go, wow, that's beautifully made. Whereas, uh, you know, when when animations need to be uh, tweaked and mods are applied to the game and certain scenarios scripted or, or uh, choreographed with, with other players, uh, that's that's just that's a harder proposition. But I also think usually the end result is a piece of well, either storycraft or art, like what we saw what you guys saw at Milan. That's just it's a different end product than game videos and streaming. I happen to like both of them. You know, I love a good machinima yeah, film, and I also really enjoy watching let's play videos, uh, maybe as much as, if not more, than my teenage son, which is a little <laughs> embarrassing, but it's true. You know, uh, so and that's and that's interesting too, is that these game videos, people tend to look at them and think, well, it's you know, it's just a bunch of kids. No, you know, a lot of old fogies like me grew up in the computer age too and are just as fascinated and entertained by those memes and jokes and, and all of that culture of, of video gaming. We get it. It's kind of exciting to be an old guy and get something that, that the kids get too, you know? So there's a whole audience of that. I think Grey Still Plays is probably closer to my age than he is my son's, you know? Uh, yeah. A lot of these streamers are. they are. They're... they're they're not kids, maybe kids compared to us, but so anyway, that's, that's just a, I've talked way too long for, for a tiny little thought, which is just, I wouldn't say dissolved because dissolved to me kind of, is like the second cousin to disintegrated. I don't think <laughs> that's what happened, you know, it's not yeah. disappeared.
1: Well, their they're, their entire just festival just got a much
3: bigger brother. That's all
1: right. Their entire festival sort of belies the notion that the machinima has dissolved. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Damien, what is your th- what are your thoughts about this question? Um, kind of similar along similar lines, actually. The only thing I think is dissolved is the word itself, but not the actual medium of telling stories through uh, animated through real time animation, or by capturing footage from a game and then, you know, adding your own sound effects and dialogue and all that other um, stuff that we like to do. So, um, so I think that's still there. And it's more like, uh, it's more of an evolution of, um, of what we were doing before of telling us our stories or experimenting or whatever kind of films we're doing, being able to stream is, it's, a, it's new and it's kind of related but it doesn't mean that the other what we were doing before no longer happens. People are still using video games or whatever game of their choice is to tell whatever stories it is that they want to tell. And then you have people who play those games and stream playing it, and they they put on a performance because you have to talk to the people who are watching, and you have to react to what's happening in the game. Because if you just sit in there playing statically, not reacting to it, that's not an entertaining video to watch. You have to respond to. What's happening, which is the game and the audience reacting to the game and talking to you. And so it's just different. It's like television. You don't have, I and mean, you have something like Game of Thrones, which is obviously a lot of money spent on producing all the costumes and having the, all the actors write um, to tell the story. And then comparing that to something like Britain's Got Talent, which is another form of entertainment
3: it's a great on television. Analogy,
0: great. And people like both. Some people just like the Game of Thrones. Some people just like the, the Britain's Got Talent kind of shows, and it doesn't really matter. It, it's all television. It's just different, and I yeah. feel like that's the same way with game-based videos. Is someone streaming is something very different from um, someone telling a story. But it, it doesn't. Neither of them makes the other invalid. It's just different.
3: Yeah, that TV comparison is great. Yep. Great, that's great, a great, really well good put. point of
1: view i think I think your comments point out that the question sort of betrays an ass- assumptions behind it yeah. um, the idea of uniquely positioned in the media landscape what what exactly is the media landscape you know and the larger culture of streaming and game videos I think the the questioner wanted to has a particular point of view and wanted to get affirmation for that point of view from the person that they're asking the question from. Um, frankly, I think that uh, Machinima, like uh, you've all answered exactly my, my shared my thoughts exactly. Um, I think back because we've been doing, I've been doing this project on Hugh Hancock. I've been thinking a lot about Hugh's time at machinima.com and my time. And Phil, you were there and Damien, you were there for a brief, brief time towards the end and that world was very different than the world that is out today. And once Machinima Inc. took over and showed the larger community that you could make a ton of money off of this, it moved machinima production and machinima creation into the larger the larger community, world community and the world marketplace that changed a lot of things. And it also came to the attention of academics, although it had uh, come to the attention before, but it seriously came to attention then. And I think the questioner is sort of confusing the notion of the academic focus on, as as you pointed out so well, Tracy, the academic focus versus the wider mass use of well, I I'm like you Damien I believe that there's no distinction between the two I believe that they're just different types of ways to create it in fact I think um, here at the at, at our podcast it's been really hard to choose a film because there's so many great films that I want to talk about yeah I mean I could easily come up with three films for each session we could do two hour the film discussion. You know, because there's so many great films. So the idea that it's sort of dissolved into a larger media streaming and has been forgotten, I don't think is uh, is true. Uh, I think it's still, it may not be positioned in the same way it was when it was Machinima.com. Agreed. You know what I mean? Um, if that's what the questioner thinks about in terms of positioning, um, people just make films. They don't worry about how their film is going to be positioned anywhere or where it's going to sit or how it's going to sit. That's almost a marketing or a commercial point of view, I think. But.
2: um, I was going to add Ricky, you know, that. the the thing is there are so many games now indie games in particular being released um, that it's a very fragmented and very crowded marketplace and I think the challenge would be if there was no game-based machinima, a lot of these games developers would not survive. They, there just wouldn't be an audience for them without the role of creators um, putting examples of what that game is like out through machinima, mm-hmm. um, machinima works. That's a good point. The, uh, the other thing I wanted to sort of add in, into this is I think one challenge that we will face going forwards and we've said this for a lot of years actually is the the tolerance level among viewers for poorly rendered content uh, and i think now with um you know the likes of unreal and unity facilitating really high quality but you know low or no cost production then the bar is really going to be set ever higher uh, and that may weed out some of the weaker content um and and I think that'll be weeded out through what I would call platform algorithmic processes, um, if nothing else. Ooh, I like that. In fact, I'm going to give you a little... <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because people were, you know, a little bit like um, the Baby Outlaw um, machinima that we talked about last time. Right. I mean, what a great right. little film that, that was. I mean, such high-quality work. Um, but basically produced by a guy uh, in his bedroom in three weeks, albeit he'd got a lot of kit, clearly, um, yeah. to do it. But, uh, you know, with the, uh, the the tutorials and whatnot on, online now, is that not within the realms of most people who are interested and want to stick at something for a, an extended period of time? Notwithstanding the fact that I, I think the craft of telling the story is kind of, key and where do you get the ideas Yes, that yes. from. That's the bit I think is missing really. Where do people get the ideas from?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Henry's answer was yes. He thought it did. Uh, um, Machinima has uh, dissolved into the larger culture of streaming game videos. I won't attempt to give you the, his explication for that. Uh, I think they're going to put his interview online but he believed that it had as uh, did the questioner. But then again, I think they were both in sort of the same academic mindset. And uh, that answer was a foregone conclusion, I think, as soon as it was asked. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on into our second question. Um, Let's play videos. Now, is that another type of machinima focused on playing games? Or is it a more significant type of machinima? Now, interestingly, at the Milan Machinima Festival, there were several Let's Play videos, but they didn't call them Let's Play videos. They called them live performances by an artist. Now, I understand that because they don't want to say Let's Play because it links it to a rather messy, hairy, stinky little mass movement. It doesn't sound so good academic. You know, it doesn't have that literary quality to it you can't write let's play in a in a doctoral thesis but you can write live performance by an artist so now phil you were very interested in this you you shared this uh uh, sims filmmaker did let's let's play using him as an example how would you address that question Uh, is it just game playing or is it a more significant type of machinima
3: yeah i I think uh with gray still plays and and uh it, it, a lot of it depends on how how the let's play uh I don't think there's just one type of let's play um because I've seen everything on the map between the one that the type that Damien mentioned where it's just the, the the uninteresting type where it's just there's this guy who uh I want to say he goes by the name of the lorax or something like that from Dr. Seuss something along those lines uh, he's. Primarily Spanish speaking, um, I can see that from the what goes on in the chat, but he interacts with everyone by chat. There's no voice voiceover at all. It's just him playing Minecraft in this world that he's been, a single player world that he's been building, just him playing Minecraft and then every once in a while chatting with people. Th- that's it. <laughs> he's got like thousands of people tuning in every time that he does it. W- why? You know, I mean, i being be one of them. Why? I don't know but it was just interesting. But I feel like that that is literally just a guy playing the game and he happens to have a chat thing there, but, but there's no performance art going on. He's not doing like stunts or building crazy. Control. He's just playing the game the way he wants to play it. And there happened to be some people looking over his shoulder. So that's at one end of the spectrum. At the other end, you have, uh, you know, Gray still plays or um, there's a guy who does uh, let's plays named Zisto. Um, And he's done Minecraft and then now he does a bunch of like uh, kind of hardcore survival games where, you know, you're lost in the wilderness and have to, you know, survive the the winter or whatever. Um, And he varies his style. Sometimes he's playing as just a guy. Hey, you're over my shoulder. And sometimes he's like in character and has set up these sequences of things to happen that are unexpected and he feigns surprised reaction to them. He's not the world's greatest actor. That's how I know that he's, I know when he's (laughs) faking it, but it's still very entertaining. He's having a great time. Right. Uh, And it's, it's, it's worth, you want to tune in and see what's he going to do next. What's he going to try and pull, you know, pull on us next. And yeah, Gray still plays. That's clearly a performance. Uh, I mean, he's probably, he probably jokes around like that with his buddies in real life, but he's, he's, A comedian, first and foremost, playing this game. He's found this vehicle in The Sims 4 and in Grand Theft Auto and in a whole bunch of other games that he does this with. It's the same approach, basically. You know, he's got certain voice inflections he uses and certain phrases that he'll repeat, certain recurring jokes that'll come back up again and again, this kind of fan service. I mean, that's a performance art for sure. um, And a really good one. Yeah. there's also some people who do kind of a performance, and and it's it makes it almost unwatchable for me. There's a guy, I can't remember what his name is. I'll try and find links for all these that I've referenced so we can put them in the notes. But he is somehow, he's the first streamer when a new massive game comes out. So when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, he was the first one streaming it. Like, it was... The day it was released, he's on there streaming it, and you know tens of thousands of people are watching. Cyberpunk, same thing. He's and he basically just streams a full playthrough of the game. Wow! But he's hamming it up and talking to the audience, and and right. And it's just it's uh, I, I got to be honest, it's just it's horrible. I like <laughs> I couldn't make it through an episode, but. It's clearly got wide appeal. Like sure, people just, sure. Just tune in for it. I think he's just one of the, I think he's a bigger dork than I am.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> he's, oh, killing I he's killing it.
3: He's killing it. That be true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> but you no, know what, Phil? So? I think Don't, some of them are, uh, they are performance artists. I think as, as puffy as that term seems, uh, it is accurate to those who make it so. And then there's others who are just playing the game or doing it at various levels of skill that aren't very entertaining. And I think the, the view count is the barometer that ultimately sorts all that out. Yes. Yeah. There are some very, very talented performance artists who vehicle games is just their, their vehicle. Mm
2: -hmm. Tracy, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say was really what's different here is that it, to other forms of machinima, is that it allows the creator to, de- to develop a personality, and that personality has allowed people to brand their content, which which demonstrates a unique style that has appealed to the likes of YouTube, um, you know, the YouTube, Twitch, and stream sort of t- Steam generation, where the focus has really been on acquiring fans and followers, and these people in turn have become influencers uh, in the gaming world. So the fact that they've got the first copy of the game out, it's probably because they've been given it by yes. the the publisher as a form um, of promotion. Of their,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, because of their status. Yes. and 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 it's their status um, which is kind of key because that allows them to sort of transform that kind of symbolic value they have into kind of you know a, a value where they can extract economic value through monetizing the the content by advertising and sponsorship. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting seen loads of folks come to the fore, haven't we? Like PewDiePie, who's done a similar kind of thing was the number one streamer for, for years and right, years. Right. And that's really what pushed um, Machinima Inc forward as well. It was that, that whole development of the network channel partnership strategy, which allowed that to come to the fore. Um, uh, and they were basically just kids Sign, signed up to stream gameplay and talk to their mates about the game. Mm-hmm. They were doing all the advertising for the game publishers and developers. And that's yeah. really what it is. Let Us Play is what it, what it came from.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I find it interesting that there were two uh, Let's Play videos in the Machinima Film Festival that you, I think, will find uh, unusual. The first one was Chris Carich's uh, film Viscera Cleanup Detail called piles and basically he's a programmer and artist in california and he started and and, and this he was inspired by other P, other youtube video people that did it they would basically go into a game and uh, end up killing npcs and then piling up their dead bodies into fantastic body piles huge body piles and this, uh, the length of the film that they showed, there was 80 minutes of him very carefully going through the process and Hitman and others of shooting someone, going and getting their body, and then just putting it in a body pile until by the end of the 80 minutes, they had this fantastic pile of 100 dead NPCs. Right, right. Then the second one was a really one that I actually liked a lot. It was by Camilla Card, and it was called Walking Through, Walking Against, and it was shot in that beautiful game Journey. Remember that one where the sort of interesting figure, robed figure goes through the desert and winds around in the desert? It's a beautiful soundtrack. It's soundtrack, won all sorts of award. Well, basically, I watched the film, It was about, oh, golly, 30 minutes long. And it was basically this figure going through the desert and falling and going through the desert and falling and moving around and going through the desert. And that was it. It seemed aimless and charming for the first 10 minutes. And then after that, it was boring. Uh, but But I stuck it through. And then I listened to her interview. And the whole film changed for me because she said, She was really upset. She's Italian and she was really upset about the second lockdown and it depressed her. And she wanted to play a game to help her get a sense of freedom. So Mm. she started recording playing Journey and she discovered that there were boundaries that the game creator, soft boundaries that the game creator created inside of the game. And what she was doing in the game was exploring those boundaries. Now that completely changed my notion of what it was I was seeing and I became much more, and and it also is probably the reason why I stuck through the entire 30 minutes. I just made an assumption in my head that this was boring because I didn't see what she was actually doing because I, it was too subtle for me. I just missed it. But in her talk about it, I thought it was marvelous and beautiful and soft. And it did give her a feeling of freedom from the lockdown, it was her way of coping with it. So there's two examples of Let's Play that are considered art. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. they included him in this very close, uh, tightly uh, criteria festival, art festival, academic festival as Let's Play. So I do think that Let's Play has become a very interesting medium, especially compared to the early days in Machinima in which there was no effort to hide the fact that you were trying to create an illusory story. Father Frag's best, you didn't put yourself in that film. You didn't have you commenting on that. You created a fiction. It was a satire of sitcoms from the 50s. Well, that's what everybody else was trying to do. They were trying to do uh, Fourth Wall. Take away the fourth wall, and you're watching this fic- fictional world, except mm-hmm. for it was all done in machinima. Well, that's changed, and now there's this awareness of the player playing, and it's almost like the player doesn't play the game anymore. They're using the NPCs, they're, they're relating to the NPCs in ways that are unique and sometimes devious and strange, doing things that they couldn't do in real life.
3: I'm reminded. You know what I mean? of- but you know, without. There was God, a series um, in the mid 2000s. I want to say it was called Freeman's Mind. Did it, do any of you remember that? Yes, you I said, remember yeah, that. Yeah, it yeah. was a single-player Let's Play of Half Life or Half Life Two, I think, with this guy narrating what must be going through Gordon Freeman's <laughs> mind as he's walking through that, you know, that opening sequence when you get off the train and the whole right, uh, right. Actually, I think I'm pretty sure it was Half Life One because it was the science compound that he was going through, and all those yeah. funny little NPCs with their random sayings, the, the right. white lab coat guys, and Barney, the security <laughs> officer, and all that. Uh, but he's narrating like the thoughts in Gordon Freeman's head, of course, very comically. I can't remember what his name was. I want to say Ross something or other. We'll, we'll have to yes, do one, yes, on that. we'll but, have to definitely yeah, check that. That, out. that was a very early uh, one where essentially. He hadn't modded the game at all. He wasn't doing anything. He was just playing through the game in order and doing this really funny, somewhat improvised uh, commentary on the game. And it was hugely popular. And I think he ended up being, he ended up having, if I remember right, a channel on machinima.com. And they just, my recollection of it is that they, they, they just with the terms of their contract just squeezed all the enjoyment out of it for him and, and it, it kind of faded away. Yeah. Yeah. But we uh, understand
1: we'll, we'll follow up on that and make yeah, sure we, do yeah. Uh, Damien, uh, you, we haven't heard from you all on this question. What, what
0: do you think? Um, it's kind of hard to follow up on what you guys have said, but um, <laughs> so I'll use an example of last night. Um, I've got a friend I met at a convention in um, Atlanta, Dragon Con, and one of her ways of dealing with the pandemic, because um, she can't meet any of your friends or do anything, any of the usual social stuff, is she started streaming um, so that she had some kind of social interaction. So last night she was playing Phasmophobia. And what she did was she invited um, three people in the chat to come and play with her. And I was one of them. So I joined in the game. And so you got this let's play her performance, playing the game, reacting to all the, the scary things going on. And, but she was doing it with her friends as a way of hanging out with friends virtually when she can't do it in real life. And obviously she couldn't hang out with me because I lived thousands of miles away as well. Uh, my understanding is the other two who are playing live much closer. So this is a way for people to spend some time together. And uh, there's a moment where, we were being hunted by this ghost in this abandoned prison. And so we were all whispering and getting really into, because we were voice <laughs> chatting as well. So we were whispering as if we really were, um, <laughs> hiding. And there's th- that kind of element to it as well, which I thought as, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about that. And it's another part of machinery uh the as play is is the social aspect of it. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like that was something I should mention. But Good yeah, point. there are so many different ways of doing it because you can just sit and play the game and you can just be yourself and say, well, that, that was interesting or well, I'm going to do this or not say anything at all. Um, and then there's what I just said. We were getting into it um, to, to build up the atmosphere and pretend we were really there. Uh, and then there's putting on an even bigger performance and having it sort of planning out, um, even if you're playing a sort of a sandbox game like Minecraft, planning out what's going to happen so that you've you kind of staged it so that when it happens, you can react to it. Like Phil was saying earlier, yeah. Um, so it's it's just a broad way of producing content.
3: I'll I'll add to that real briefly. There is a Let's Player um, who goes by the the name on YouTube of Dream and I'll, I'll be sure to uh, link to his channel or one of his videos. Um, he is known for, uh, he's one of the world record holders for Minecraft speedrunning. I don't think he's at the top spot right now, but he's been there several times and earned quite a reputation that way. And he does Let's Play videos with where basically he has to stay alive long enough to complete all the objectives of Minecraft, to, to, to kill the ender dragon is the ultimate one while his four friends are on this in that same world trying to kill him the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and it's brilliant because they are really funny like just funny people but there's also there's because I know the game fairly well there's elements of it that are clearly they planned planned out a bit you know it doesn't matter it's still really, yeah, really entertaining yeah. to watch, um, and they've done several series of these where they call it Manhunter or whatever, and he's he's being chased constantly. Oh, I
1: have to check those out.
3: Oh, it's it's hysterical, and he's really, really uh, terrific. And that's those are those are part performance and also part he's very skilled at the game. Like there's there's no uh, cheating going on. That it's not that type of of fixing of events, but. Right. Some of it is just, it's too good to be true that the scenarios that evolve ways that he outwits them or whatever that, you right. know, okay, there was some coordination there, but you I, I just don't care. Um, I, I, still find it very well done, very entertaining. So I'll, I'll include links to that because it's, it's, it's 4 guys who know each other really well. They're friends. You can tell. Thanks. Um, and they're, they're doing a series of those videos. Yeah. It's, it's oh, quite that's interesting.
1: Great. Tracy, you have the last word on this.
2: Well... For me, um, machinima was always about community, and I, I think what you're you're know, getting to there is that with let's play, it's even more about community. Um, so, yeah, I think you know where where communities are, are forming where, around whatever the 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 game are or whatever the whatever the practices are or whatever the um, you know the, the the tightness of the network. It, it's still Community at its heart, and it's something that I think um, it's it's often overlooked when when you just look at machinima as an art form, you, you forget about the you know the, that angle of it. Which yes, is key to it.
1: Which was essentially how it how machinima became machinima yeah. out of community. That's how Absolutely. it was created. Yeah. So even though it's changed, and the communities tend to be satellites still there's that providing sense of we're all gamers. We're all going to have fun doing this, you know, and it doesn't make any difference how old you are. I've always thought that that notion that it's just that machine ink notion. It's only those boys from 15 to 24 was always, are you kidding, man? I'm now trawling the steam every day going, Oh God, I got to have that game. I got to have that game. You know, <laughs> I'm worse than I would have been if I was 15.
3: You know, you mentioned Father Frank's best earlier, Ricky, uh, all the all the actors in that the the player characters that were in that were controlled by friends um a a group of gaming uh friends i still keep in touch with all of them to this day
1: wow it was
3: a private mailing list for years and then when yahoo groups went away we turned it into a facebook group some of them are listening to this show right now i'm certain of it so online ogf guys uh (laughs) Uh, you know, greetings. Uh, But yeah, we all keep in touch still. And that was a, there there were many just playing the game and having fun experiences, of course, that bonded. But that was a really fun experience where we all just show up on this set that I've designed and we're on Battlecom Communicator. Do you remember that? It used to be for voice. (laughs) Yes. You'd have to run it as a third party thing while running the game. And we were talking on there and I'm directing them. Okay, now jump up and down. Okay, now shoot him. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I, I wish that I had thought to record that. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, the the memories of that are. I, I had more fun making that movie than I did any other one that I did. Which most of the other ones I did were solo. Yeah, uh, yeah. Community is huge and essential. So yeah. If you you know, if there's a way to involve that in your creation, it's it's it really enhances the experience for sure.
1: All right. We're going to listen to a foghorn before we get to our last question. (laughs) Foghorn sound effect. Thanks from freesound.org. We'll link it in the show notes. What the hell is NFT? Does it mean that a machinima creator could sell his work on a blockchain site and become a millionaire, a millionaire? What do you think? <laughs> it sounds like Dellboy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> According to Evan Ryan, who's, will correct me, I'm sure he will, um, it's just a it's just a momentary thing. It's just a because they sold this sixty million dollar work, digital work of art uh, as a non fungible uh, artwork. Uh, now it's a, everybody wants to get involved in it. But I'm wondering, and I've been doing research on NFT, and I'm curious what you guys think about it. Do you think it's a viable source for for machinima filmmakers to make some money off of their work? well oh i see you're all just jumping at this question
3: yeah i've not uh i'm lacking in full a full technical understanding like i've I've asked three different people to explain it to me and they'll do so and they even send articles and stuff and i still don't profess to fully get it and i think it's maybe because i don't fully get blockchain yet right i understand it i could probably recite something to you that would technically be correct Even as I don't understand it, Um, but here's what I do know is that uh, I saw a headline yesterday that uh, uh, a man sold uh, an NFT uh, of uh, one of his farts and made eighty five dollars.
2: Wow! Wow!
3: And and well, that sums it
2: up for me. Yeah, and I, I yeah, my wife
3: then heard me talking about that. And, and basically just, you know, was quite excited because she thought surely we'll be millionaires um, <laughs> between me and my son. Oh, but yeah. anyway, uh, that's, yeah, I, 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 don't get it. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that some of you understand a bit more about it and can, can tell us. What well, let me make is. a
1: quick, quick, very fast definition. NFTs refers to non fungible item. A fungible item is like a dollar bill you can take a dollar bill. They're identical. You can use them. They're all the same. A non fungible item is an item that's unique. So the notion is, is that you take this unique artist, uh, creation and you put it in a blockchain, uh, uh, system in which they, uh, use to create, a, a Bitcoin, uh, type thing. And, um, it makes, it takes away the digital ability to copy it digitally because it's recorded in the blockchain. So it restores its uniqueness. So rather than uploading it onto a website and saying, Hey, you can buy this artwork for $29.95. And then somebody steals it and copies it. You put it in a blockchain, which keeps track of its uniqueness. And so when somebody buys it, they buy, they are assured that it's a, a purchased as a unique item. Plus, there's a history of it keeps a history of its uh, its purchases. So much like a, a painting in a in a gallery, they keep track of you know a Picasso lithograph. Uh, where when was it first sold? The next person that bought it, they have a history of all of that. That's what the blockchain does. Now, blockchain is hard to understand. I don't particularly get it, but I understand what it does. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So the question is, is that can a machinima filmmaker retain that unique uh, aspect of their film and sell it? The, my problem with it is, is that machinima is essentially, as we were talking earlier, community. It's about community. So you want to share your film. The idea of taking your film and putting it in a unique situation, simply because you want to make a lot of money on it, runs counter to what most Machinima people are going to want to create their machinima for. They want to put it on YouTube. They want to share it so that other people will go, "Hey, that's great!" Start a community, that kind of thing. By using an NFT, it sort of defeats the whole purpose of making machinima in the first place. At least that's how I see
0: it.
2: Yeah, and to, to add to that, the, it doesn't just because you've um, attached a token to it doesn't mean that it can't be replicated anyway. So there can be multiple digital copies, and it only becomes relevant when you sell the work and then you know who who do you transfer that that uh, work to i didn't realize <laughs> that And um, yeah, yeah cause cause so, I, that, so, that was my question so, so, was was
3: if okay so if let's just let's do an example scenario here i R- ricky and i make a machinima film or, or to keep it simple ricky makes a machinima film get does whatever the nft thing is gets that and now he's got it this this film with the NFT. Yeah. But does anything about that stop someone from Absolutely copying nothing. it or sharing it elsewhere, or even taking credit for it? Like, well, I mean, that, I realized that the, the, the NFT would technically be like the equivalent of, of you write a song and you get it copyrighted with the U S copyright office, but that, that still doesn't keep someone from you you still have to be able to afford to hire the lawyer to enforce your copyright, oh, <laughs> and yeah. most people can't afford that. So it, it it's one of those things where I I just I find myself wondering where where does the true benefit of that actually show itself, unless you're dealing in in
2: uh. It, it's in the, it's the market. I, mean, I, hate, market.
3: I, I don't want to be classist about it at all, but. it seems like you've kind of got to have something worth spending money protecting and the money to do that protecting who's going to enforce NFT, who recognizes it. Like Hmm. with, with copyright, if I copyright some works, eventually in theory, I should be able to, uh, control the usage of that work for commercially through the Copyright Office, that record, the Library of Congress has that record there of assuming I can afford the lawyer and do all that. Eventually, that's considered proof. Well, who, what organization, what body considers NFT proof? How is it enforceable? And I'm not saying and, that you guys should know the answers to this. These are just the questions that arise with me is yeah. with with copyright in the U.S. or in the U.K., we know who to go to ultimately to enforce that, there's a government body that says we will at least provide the proof you need. It's your your job to enforce and protect it. But here's the proof, you know, and we are considered an authority that you can trust. Yes, this is a record, a real record in time. Blah blah blah. NFT has all those same uh, uh, attributes of being a record in time. The blockchain helps authenticate that. But who actually? will enforce this who who recognizes mm. this as proof and maybe it's just because it's so new that no the answer right now is nobody i no. don't know but i guess i don't understand it, it as much as like I... yeah ultimately it seems like for nft to really work there's got to be uh, somebody who's going to officially enforce it or, no. or provide a vehicle through which it can be enforced otherwise what, is what were it? you going to
2: say tracy well, I, I was going to say that it's it's dependent on the market, and um, so you know the the blockchain really is distributed ledger mm-hmm. um, technology. So it's 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 enforced by the community that has contributed to the to the ledger. But it, but if you if you take that to the next step, you have to think about that as a market. So so for example, the guy that sold his artwork to, for nearly seventy million dollars or what have you has something like. Two million followers on social media, but for the art itself to, to, or you know, or anything for that matter, to be of any value, you need at least one person that wants to buy it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the the principle of it. So if you simply wanted to make sure that the version of the work you created is protected, then then maybe it has some merit to attach um, non fungible token to it. Um, but maybe it'll never have value. That's, that's the other, the other point, because if you don't In the have an audience, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, fun, it's fundamentally, it's about the market, which is where you see the work being offered on these, these so-called markets like super rare or Verisart, um, uh, which is, you know, where you can exchange, uh, Ethereum or whatever for, or, or Bitcoin for, um, uh, you know, for, for the artwork. And then it's added to, you know, the blockchain's added and, and your name is attached to it or, or your ID is attached to it and it, and it's yours. But it doesn't stop anybody else copying it at all. It's I just see. that if there is a market for it, then, you know, it's just like, for example, there are umpteen, well, millions of probably, um, probably millions of posters of, of um, Mona Lisa. But there's only one original. I was going to bring that
0: up as, as an example as well because um with digital um content whether it's a video or a digital art or whatever there's a digital copy somewhere and no matter how much you protect it it's still very easy to copy exactly whereas um with the mona lisa you can buy like you said you can buy posters if you want to copy you can buy the poster and have it on your wall but you can't go and buy the original um and you can't copy the original perfectly down to even if you no matter how hard you try to paint the Mona Lisa, even if you got every single detail perfect, it would not be an exact copy. Um, Even the poster's not the exact copy because it's the same image, but you don't have all the paint on it. It's just a printed copy of it. Whereas if I were to have a video and sell it um, online, no matter how much I protected it, someone could easily copy that and it'd be exactly the same copy as the one that's available. So with... um, watching videos online if you if there's a choice between watching to i know buying the original one for a thousand dollars or going on to a, a streaming site where someone's copied it and it's available for free most people are going to choose the free option rather than pay a thousand dollars for a video if, if it's just you know just a five minute video of something silly uh it's not worth a thousand Dollars to a lot of people, so they'll just right. go and get the free one if they were really So, in
1: want essence, it. what you're saying is that the NFT market is for investors, yes, or collectors, essentially, yeah. or collectors, yeah. collectors, Maybe as opposed to primarily. artists, as opposed to artists trying to make profit off of their work. Uh, it
2: strikes that me, I think, a, I think
3: I, some of some of what Damien was just talking about just made me realize that's this concern um, over digital and the, the ease of making exact, you know, bit for bit copies of something is very much what the objection that the music industry had to Napster and music going digital in the first place. I mean, a lot of people look at it and go, why did they get on board with that earlier? This is why, you know, because when, when music was a physical commodity, it was very easy to make sure that everybody up the chain, including the artist, got paid when it's digital, there's just, it's really hard to enforce that, you know, and they've tried many different ways, but it's, 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 it's impossible. And I think that, that challenging aspect of digital media is what makes this, this challenging. And, and the other thing that occurred to me, sorry to double up here, but as Tracy was answering, I realized that all of the questions and objections that I was posing to NFT, you know, who's going to enforce it? Who's the authority that will? Well, that's the same objections that people raised to the idea of Bitcoin in the first place, isn't it? Yes. The whole idea of that, that it's a currency that is market driven. There is no central authority. There is no government backing it. And on one side of that argument, you have people who are concerned and frightened by that. And the proponents of Bitcoin go, no, 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 that's an advantage. You know, so I think that there's probably some of that, and I'm I may just not still. I think I think my my lack of understanding may may be deeper than 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 just NFT. It may be that I still don't get Bitcoin either. So I've got some homework to do. I think because yeah, I, I I'm I've got old fogey syndrome going on here.
1: Well, if you're a machinima filmmaker and you've been reading all this about NFTs and you've been seeing all this fabulous money that people have been making, I think we've all come to the conclusion that you really need to be cautious before you step into these waters because that's really a world for investors as opposed to a wave. In fact, you had, you'd have better luck on Patreon than you would trying to Absolutely. sell your, your work on NFT. I-
2: I was just going to say, if you really value the the people that make machinima, then you commission them to make machinima. Yes, as a, as an investor, you don't yes. do it this way. But the other thing I was going to say, which I do have a massive problem with, is is the um, the energy that is consumed through the creation of uh, things like bitcoins and Ethereum and what have you. I was reading somewhere that um, you know, because there are, there is a limited number of, of bitcoins that can be minted Uh, I I can't I can't remember exactly what the figures are now something like um, 21 million is it that uh, that can only be the number of bitcoins that can be minted and that there has already been something like 18 and a half million of them uh, mined which which basically means that in order to find the unique uh, uh, code for them you need more and more and more computing power to do it well the computing power that's required to produce a single bitcoin transaction now is something like 51,000 hours of watching youtube oh, one coin 51,000 hours that's bitcoin which is you know probably one of the least um economically sustainable environmentally sustainable i mean and when i was adding that up that's almost 6 years of solidly watching wow. YouTube.
1: No wonder there's a graphics card shortage.
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So and so and right. needless to say, that is the other issue, of course, because where this stuff's being mined is in China. Primarily it's being mined in China. Now, there are there are more sustainable options emerging. Tezos, I think, is one that's, that um, is all the rave this week. Um, don't know very much about it, but it's... Um, it has seemingly a slightly more sustainable footprint than some of these other um, uh, digital uh, blockchain um, token systems, if you like. But, uh, you know, that to me makes it totally unviable. Yeah, I saw a, a, a similar article
0: mm-hmm. um, comparing the amount of energy required to mine a Bitcoin and to um, some country's entire power supply
2: absolutely argentina was one wow wow yeah wow and when you have for example you know situations where was it just last month texas was how many people were thrown into darkness there because a storm went through and the power grids couldn't handle you know the demand for people just to keep their homes warm i you know this is this is not Realistic yeah, as a not sustainable. Right.
1: Well, thank you. That 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 puts it in a very unique perspective. I appreciate that. Uh, listen, um, listeners, if you have some ideas about NFT, if you want to tell us where we're we're off base, or you have some particular ideas, please contact us. Um, you can see in the show notes the various places you can leave a voice message, an email, our Facebook page, also our uh, completely dot com website. Uh, also, in our Lowood question, what do you think of that? And AI, uh, we didn't talk about AI machinima creations last time, but we did talk about Let's Play videos. Uh, what do you think about that? And uh, what are some of your favorite uh, Let's Play videos? Please contact us because we fear for uh, Phil's sanity if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> last yeah. time he was at the breaking point. Yes. So uh, he's he's recovered, but he's, he's still very touch and go. So <laughs> please contact us and let us know what you think. And uh, we appreciate you uh, listening to us today. Please take care of yourself. And we shall see you next time. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you. Ricky. Thank you.
1: Bye. Music for this episode. We opened with the Completely Machinima theme composed by Phil Rice, followed by a sound effect Evil Laugh by Nankison and a foghorn by Andy Brennan, both from freesound.org. And our closing music was DeadFro5H from unminus.com. Thanks for listening.